Today is what a day. What a, what a day of celebration to kick off Holy Week. We, we've, we've tried to really make that special this week with, uh, with Good Friday communion at our house. And we're so looking forward to joining you guys and being together and uh, having that time together. We've started a brand new series right now called Things Jesus Never Said. We're in week two. How many of you guys were here last week? Awesome. Good, good. So we talked about how Jesus never said you don't have to forgive them. Jesus actually said you do have to forgive them. And so there are probably a lot of things that we wish Jesus never said. There are probably a lot of things that uh, we wish Jesus had said or things that we think Jesus has said because it's something that we quote all the time. It's something that just gets caught up in church terminology. And uh, we, we sometimes call it uh, uh, Christianese, the words that we say that are, that are just only the church knows what we're talking about. But the, the surprising thing is that a lot of times Jesus never said anything close to those things. And so today we're diving into the second message and the week before Easter as we lead right up to celebrating uh, what God did for us, this, this, this huge sacrifice, the huge gift that was given to us as Christians. And um, today I want to talk about Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy. So I, I really feel like today's message is going to step on some toes, and I'm okay with it. So just tell your neighbors, get ready, it's coming. I want us to start with a verse uh, as we dive right into John chapter 8, verse 2. I do have a lot of verses for you today. I, I had a few more, and uh, I, I would encourage you, there's a, there's a few chapters that we're going to look into. Go back and dig through it this week. How many of you have your notes that were on the table outside? You have your notebook? Just raise it up if you got it. Very, very, very cool. If you are at home, you can still get the notes on the, uh, on the app. And uh, if you're not sure how to do that, they can put it in the chat and, sh and tell you where to get that. But um, it is fun to have your own pen-written notes to where you can write in the margins. And you can, uh, some of you guys do that on your notebooks. I I'm thrilled that we are learning together, that we are growing together. So here we go. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. I noticed this week something that I never noticed before, that he sat down to teach them. I wonder if I, it would be pretty cool to sit down and teach, but I just imagine Jesus in the temple, there's a crowd gathered around, maybe they were all sitting down, uh, almost like children listening, just listening to the incredible words and the ideas and the concepts, Jesus was telling them things like, you've heard that it, it was okay to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Or if somebody hurts you, you hurt them. If, say, if you have an enemy, you hate them. He's, he was telling them ideas they had never heard of before. That that is finished. And God wants you to love people. God wants you to forgive people. God wants you to be the difference. And so they were listening attentively like, tell us something amazing and he was and the teachers of the law the people who hated Jesus the church people of that day the and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery so I want us to look at how really this is a great picture of how Jesus and how God sees the church the same way that he sees this woman who is caught in adultery she has sin on her it's almost like 
the scarlet letter. This woman, now according to the law, according to the Old Testament, she deserves to die. And there's a really good chance. It says that she was caught like in the middle of adultery and they grabbed her. I've read um, some scholars think that it was possible that they even, they even set it up. Because where's the guy at? Where's the guy who was caught in adultery? It could have been, if we read on, it says that this was all a trap to trap Jesus. There's a good chance that they, that they manufactured this adultery, that maybe they let the guy go. It was all done on purpose, and they caught this woman. And at this time where they knew Jesus would be in the temple, they knew he would have a crowd, there's a good chance that she wasn't fully dressed. She was embarrassed. She was humiliated. They drug her in, and her expectation is she's about to be stoned. She's about, she's about to be, they're going to take rocks, throw her in the street, and then throw rocks at her until she's dead. That's her expectation. And Jesus, somehow, he sees the trap that's happening because according to the law, they, they ask, this woman's caught in adultery, what should happen to her? So they throw this big question out to Jesus, and he now has to, on the spot, he has to answer in front of a crowd, what should happen to this woman? If he says that she should be let go, and we should forgive her, then he's going against the law. If he says that, okay, let's stone her, then all of his uh, audience, all the people who are attentively listening, all the disciples who are following him, all of his followers are now going to disperse because... He's going to have to go against everything he's been saying. So he's catch 22. He's caught. And yet Jesus steps into, the, he steps into a place of divine wisdom and this divine understanding of this situation. And he pulls a move on them. And the scripture says that Jesus knelt down and he began to write something in the sand. He began to write something in the dirt. A lot of people, a lot of scholars believe, well, what was he writing? The, the way that the language was written, it, it leans us to believing that he was writing their sins, maybe. That it's a good chance he was writing the, the accusers, the men that were pointing at this woman and saying, what should happen to her? She's caught in adultery. It's a clear case. Jesus knelt down and began to write. And the scripture says that one by one, they began to walk away. Her accusers began to leave as Jesus was writing in the sand. We don't know what he was writing, but there's, who knows what he was writing? Maybe it was their sins. Maybe it was something else. But Jesus says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. In other words, fine. If you want a stoner, stoner, but make sure that you don't have sin either. He knew what their problems were. He knew what they're saying. He knew that every one of them was as guilty as her. Because the law is impossibly hard to live up to. And here's where we pick back up our verse in, in verse 10. Jesus straightened up. After all of her accusers, the Pharisees, the, they all had gone. Jesus straightened up. He stood back up and he says, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? In other words, where are the people who condemned you and accused you and said it's time for her to die? No one, sir, she said. 
And then here's, here's where I want us to stay today. Here's where I want us to focus. And I want you and I to see ourselves in this situation and, what, and imagine that in our sin, in this, this place where you and I stand, where ultimately we deserve death. Ultimately, there's no way we can live up to the grace of God. There's no way we can live up to eternal salvation, eternal life, forgiveness. We can't live up to that. And so Jesus tells her, Who's in the same situation as us, even though you may not have committed adultery, there are, sin, there are sins that you cannot pay for. There's no amount of good deeds that can make up for the sin that we're born into. He says, then neither do I condemn you. In other words, the men who were here to accuse you, they're not here anymore, and so I'm not going to accuse you either. I'm not going to condemn you to death. Jesus declared, now watch this. He doesn't say, and go do whatever makes you happy. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to sentence you to death. So go ahead and just make your life count for something. And as long as you do pretty good, as long as, you, uh, as long as you're a good person, as long as you're deep down in your heart, you feel like you're a good person, just do whatever makes you happy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, go now. So go. I'm not going to accuse you. You're set free. And two things. He says, go and leave your life of sin. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, go now, follow your heart wherever it leads you. Like whatever, whatever is just that thing that fulfills you, go do that. No, he doesn't say that. He says, go and leave your life of sin. He could have said, go do whatever you want to do. You do you, boo-boo. I'll do me. <laughs> we'll see each other later. He doesn't say that. He, he says, go now, and like with an urgency, but leave your life of sin. Be different. Be free. But isn't that where we all want to be? We, we want to be able to go to church and see Jesus, and then leave church and then do whatever makes us happy. And then go back and see Jesus next week at, at church on Sunday morning. That's kind of the relationship that we prefer because then we get everything. Then we, we could do what we want and we get to go visit with Jesus because then it feels good. We get to sing the songs. I was in church today. And then on Monday, I get to do whatever I like because nobody's going to say anything to me. That's almost how Jesus is. Jesus is like, hey, go ahead, live your life, but also leave your sin. In fact, we know, knowing Jesus, he says, go and leave your life of sin. But if you do sin, I'll forgive you. But don't sin. But if you do, I'll forgive you. But don't. <laughs> it's almost like he's leaving the door open for us to sin. But no, Paul says, should we keep sinning so that God's grace can be uh, stretched even more? Or that grace has to stretch and reach and abound that much more because we keep sinning? No, we should not sin just so that God's grace could cover us. It's like Jesus says, go and don't sin. Don't leave. He says, leave your life of sin. So uh, in kind of setting the pace for the rest of the message, I want you guys to watch this video, and I hope you can see yourself in this video like I do. Really? Isn't that phenomenal? So they taught you how to fold the napkins? Yes. Oh, wow. I actually, believe it or not, I know how to so fold the uh, Sydney Opera House. I don't believe you. No, no, I really do. I, I, I can totally show you. Stop. You know I'm, saying? I'm very excited. Oh, good evening. Oh, good evening. Have you um, dined, dined with us before? Yes, actually, this is our favorite restaurant. W welcome back. Uh, no, babe, I'm pretty sure we've never been here before. 
No, that's weird. Really? Yeah, no, no, we haven't. Hmm. Oh, hold that thought just one second. I'm really, yeah, no, really sure. sorry. Oh, no problem. Yeah. So what would you like to order this? Oh, uh, yes, sir. So you know what? I think I would like to have that salmon. That, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. Oh, great. Yeah, I like that. And for you, ma'am? Oh, um, I will have the filet mignon and the New York strip and the eight ounce sirloin, all medium rare, please. Yes, fantastic. That is a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. I will get those right out to you. Babe, that's, that's kind of a lot of food, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not just ordering for one, you know. Wait, are you? Are you telling me that we're... Are we expecting? Yeah, he'll be here soon. It's a boy? Oh my God. Yeah, of Oh my gosh, course. babe, okay, uh, this has gotta be. There he is the... now. Wait, Hi. What? Oh, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> I ordered for you. Oh, thank you, you know me so well. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, do you, do, do you two know each other? Do you yeah, guys... he is my boyfriend from high school. Your, your boyfriend from? From high school. Babe, can I ask you what your old boyfriend's doing? <laughs> uh, did I come at a bad time? No! Yeah. I really don't see the problem here, Justin. Yeah, I really don't see the problem here. Okay, who are you? Honey, stop, you're embarrassing me. I just wanted us to have one nice night at our favorite restaurant. Okay, first of all, I've never been to this restaurant. And, and second, what is going on? Hey, babe, sorry I'm late. Did I miss anything? Okay, seriously? Hey, you, all right, you, you take your hand off her and you, what is going on? Just sit down, it's all right, it's all right. It's all right. Angela, is this, is this some kind of joke, are you? Are you actually seeing these guys? Justin, I've known these guys longer than I've known you. Wait, what? Are you seriously jealous right now? Jealous? Angela, in case you forgot, we're married. Okay, and we spend the majority of our time together. I'm, I love you more than any of my other boyfriends. That's why you'll always be my favorite. Your, your favorite is is there anyone else I need to know about? Babe, is there a problem over here? Okay, really, the waiter? No, Dennis, we're All fine. All right, seriously, no. Good, food will be right out. Oh, uh, okay, it, Angela, Angela, all right. These guys need to go, and we need to talk. We're done. I cannot believe this. You are being so selfish. Why do you always have to make everything about you? You ruined our favorite restaurant. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah, I've, I've still never been to this restaurant. Thank you, thank you, Dennis. The salmon is delightful. So, did you propose to her here too? Wow, that's a, almost not much to say about that, right? Because really, she wants everything. She wants to be able to have 
the, the, the great marriage. She wants to be able to have a husband, but also have her boyfriend. She wants to have the things. Of course, she thinks he's selfish, and it's really easy for us to imagine that, God, why would you be so selfish to not let me do the things that make me happy? But we can either, we can either live God's way, or we can live our way. And there is a difference between the two. There is a difference between where your heart will take you and the things that your heart will desire and the things that God wants for you. And sometimes it's hard to draw the line and say, okay, I'm going to give up the things that I love, the things that we'll just call them sin. Because if we're honest with ourselves, then sin, it feels good. It feels great. In, in fact, if, if sin didn't feel good, why would we want to do it? Or at least it feels good for a little while. For a, for a period of time, it feels great. And then it catches up to us. That's why we think, well, you know, I'm just going to follow my heart. And you may have people in your life that just, you know, when you're trying to make a decision, we'll just follow your heart. You're a good person. I know you're a good person. And so we kind of justify why we do certain things and why we don't do other things. Because I'm a good person deep down. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, this is one of those chapters I would challenge every one of you to go home and read it this week because from the beginning of the, from the, beginning of the chapter, starting with like verse 5, Jeremiah lays out that God has a plan for you. And if you don't follow God's way, then you're walking in a curse. You're walking in, into a place in your life that's dry and broken and it's not producing fruit. It leads to death. But if we follow God and we do it God's way, and we cling to him, we're like a tree that's planted by the river, and it produces good fruit. And even when there's a drought, even when there's no uh, rain, even when everything else is broken, it still lives and thrives. And then the very next verse, I want us to look at this, because a lot of times we disconnect whether we're following God or following, the. we'll call it the world or sin or the flesh. And then the very next thing that the prophet says in Jeremiah in, in verse, it's actually verse, 11, uh, verse 12, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Like you can walk this way to follow God or you can walk this way to follow the world and the things of man. You got to choose one and the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. What is the human heart? It's not your heart pumping and beating blood. It's the inner parts of your, your thinking and your thoughts, your soul, your mind, your desires. That is the most deceitful of all things. It's not going to lead you right. It's going to lie to you. We always say that our feelings lie, right? That's the inner part of us. Here's the scripture, that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And everybody say the next part, desperately wicked. So if you're following your heart, I heard a song that said, follow your arrow wherever it goes, like wherever the inner compass leads you. You know where that's leading? You might think that, oh, I'm deep down, I'm a good person, but desperately on the inside, that little, that little uh, compass that you think is taking you somewhere that's going to make you happy, it's desperately wicked. That's your flesh because it feels good. It feels nice. Oh, that, that would make me feel so great if I did that. Then he says, who really knows how bad it is? We don't because it's like it feels great. And then before we know it, we're trapped. We are 
just like the video we just watched. And his bride was making bad decisions and bringing in other things that would make her happy. I love when she says, you're my favorite. You'll always be. I spend majority of my time with you. <laughs> Isn't that how it is with God sometimes? It's like, God, you're my favorite. I, don't, I would rather spend time with you like I spend majority of my time with you. But there's some other, there's some other people there. They're older friends. I've had them for longer than you. So as believers and making that decision, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow man and flesh and the world? Making that decision and deciding which road to walk down and whether I'm going to follow my heart or follow my inner compass or what is the single biggest problem in following God? Anybody? My single biggest problem is your single big. We all have the same single biggest problem, even though it's a different problem. Same problem, but different. It's me. I am my biggest problem. No matter what I, whatever I want in life, wherever I find myself standing, the biggest obstacle to me getting where God wants me to be is not an outside influence. It's me. I make bad decisions. My heart leads me the wrong way. I desire this or that. It's, you, we could call it our sin nature. It's the, the fleshly part of us that makes me feel like, well, I'm a, I start thinking this way, and then I feel this way, and then so I make decisions this way, and now my behavior reflects what's on the inside. So what is sin? What is that sin? Where do we draw the line and say, well, you crossed the line, and now you've sinned? What does that look like? We could go around the room, probably everybody would have different answers because the spectrum is so wide of what constitutes as sin. We think murder. We, we could start with the Ten Commandments. Well, I, did, I didn't honor God. I didn't love God. I didn't, I didn't follow his plan. I disrespected my parents. I didn't honor the Sabbath day. I, didn't, I, I lied. I cheated. I, I stole something. Right? I committed adultery. Just go down the list of all the things. But if you read the Bible, really... Even Jesus says, you have heard that it's a sin to actually kill someone. But if you have anger in your heart and you thought about it, you have heard that it was a sin to commit adultery, but if you thought about it. So J Jesus backs the line up and says, sin, we want to define sin. Sin is way before you ever act on something. Sin starts right here. And so we go back to the heart of man, the place where we're thinking and feeling and desiring and the, the process goes on. But God is way more interested in what you're thinking about and your thoughts and your desires than he is in what your hands do. Than he is in what you eat or what you wear. The prophet says that God sees the inside. Like men, we look at the outside. We see what's on the outside, but God looks at the inside of man. So I'm going to give you four quick things that sin is. You can write these in your notes because we want to be where God is. And so number one, sin is the opposite of God and good. Simply put, that the things that God made, sin is the opposite of that. So God doesn't make sin. Sin is whenever we walk away from God and the good that God is. Psalm 145.9 says, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. He is good. All, every good and perfect gift comes from where? The Father. 
He's sending us good. He's provided for us good. By his nature, he is good. So, and our next verse, Psalm 145. The Lord is good to everyone. Here we go. 1 Timothy 4.4. 4, for everything God created is good. God didn't create sin. Sin is when we walked away from. It's the absence of good. It's like the absence of light. You don't have to create darkness. You just have to turn off the light. Light is the creation. God created light, but in the absence of light, there's darkness. Sin is the same way. When there's the absence of good and God, when we walk away from God, when we turn from God, we take things that God made, and what do we do with it? We misuse it, we abuse it, and we lose it. That's what sin does to us. We misuse it, we abuse it, and we lose it. Take money, for instance. Money's good. Money's a tool that we can use for the kingdom of God. We can reach people. We can give. We can do all the things that God wants us to do, and yet we can also misuse it. We can abuse it, and we can lose it. What about love and marriage? We take good things. God created sex. God created all the things that were designed for us, and what do we do? We misuse it. We abuse it, and then we lose it. We, the things that God created marriage to be. We pervert it, and we make it something that it shouldn't be. We step away from it and bring sin into it, and now it's broken, and we're, we wonder, why, wait, 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 wait. I didn't want a broken marriage. But we didn't do it how it was supposed to be, how it was designed. Sin is always a perversion of God's good gifts or God's perfect plan. God has a way that is better than our way. And so often we just decide, well, I guess I'll go this way. <laughs> I kind of like it this way, God. But when I'm sinning, then I'm being ungodly. Number two, sin is the opposite of not just good and God, but sin is the opposite of love. The Bible says that God is love. So the opposite of God, the opposite of love is sin. And sometimes we think we're loving. We think we're in love, but we're not. Sometimes it's lust. Sometimes it's not just lust, but sometimes we think we're doing something for somebody's good where, oh, you know, I'm just trying to help them out, but really we're not. We're trying to help ourselves out. It's not done out of love at all. It's done, done for other reasons, for other, uh, maybe it's a manipulative thing. Maybe it's a, so far outside of love. In fact, people say, well, I'm going to I'm going to rob these people because they don't need it anyway. <laughs> I'm doing them a favor. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said the most important commandment is to what? Love the Lord your God. Right? With all, be all in with God, loving God. But also, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love people. Love God and love people. The most important thing ever is to love God and love people. And yet, when we step out of that, we're in sin. Matthew 24, 12 says, sin will be rampant everywhere. And speaking about the, the end times and the future, and, and I should say the times that we live in now, Jesus was referring, sin will be rampant everywhere. And what? The love of many will grow cold. So the love of God is taken out of things. We take God out of school. We take God out of government. We take God out of our homes. We take God out of everything. And then what? 
Love grows cold, and we wonder why everything's broken, and society is living in its, it's following its heart. Number three, sin is always selfish. Always. Sin is selfishness. Every sin you can name is at its core selfish. We could call that pride. It's the, it's the sin of making everything focused on me. That it's about me. It's not about something. You could go to church and be sinful because I just want everybody to see me. I'm doing it for me. But God says the greatest thing that you can do is step outside of you, love God, make your priorities shift to where you are the least. That you value, not, not just that you don't love yourself, but you don't place yourself in the center of your own universe. We always say that you're the hero of your story, but... You can't value yourself above even God. That's what Satan did when God cast him out of heaven. Satan said, oh, I'll elevate myself above God. I can do what he does. And you're all, we're always focused. What if it's murder? I go and kill someone. Well, maybe they're a bad person, but is it because I don't like them? And ultimately, it comes back to what, what happens in my life. Stealing something, I need that. Envy, jealousy, strife, lies. James 3.16 says it this way, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Isn't that amazing? The Bible is clear that we're put here not just for ourselves. God didn't put you on this planet so that your life can be good. He didn't put you on this planet so that he could just take care of you and he could give you uh, good messages on Sunday morning and make sure your life is the American dream. It's easy to believe that and it's easy to get caught up in that because it feels nice. But we live in a narcissistic culture. We live in a culture where everything is focused on me. Right? Selfies and social media Everything is driven by what do I look like. One of the biggest apps in the world right now is designed uh, Instagram. Maybe you love Instagram and Facebook and all of the others, but they are designed so that you will look better. They have filters that make you look better, that make your life look better, where you ate look better, makes your dog look better. It makes your clothes look better. Right? And so when we go look at my life and I can, I can go look at all of the, uh, the last weeks and months and years of life that I lived. But wow, those pictures look amazing. It wasn't really like that though, was it? Not exactly. It's a little bit of a lie. So I heard uh, Pastor Rick Warren talking about how an eye-centered life is a sinful life. And if you take the words S-I-N, I is right in the middle. In fact, there's a lot of words that an eye-centered life revolve around. It's, it's sin and pride, crime, racist, sexist, lying, thief, envious, just down the line of all the things that right in the center. When we put I in the center, that's what my life reflects. Number four, sin is always, and this one's probably the biggest one. Sin is always unbelief in who God is. What does that mean? That means that at the very root, 
it means that I don't trust God, that I'm doubting God in something because God, God says you are who you are. He says that he's made us for a reason, for a purpose, for uh, the promise that he's given us, eternal life, all the things that have been said. Whenever I'm sinning, I'm not believing what God said. John 16, 9 is very clear. Jesus said, uh, the world's sin is unbelief in me. And that, that works on every level, not just the big level. Well, you don't believe in God, it's a sin. But also, when I'm sinning, when I'm murdering, I, I'm not believing what, what Jesus said about me. And when I sin, it reveals what I'm doubting about God. For instance, when, I, when I'm afraid, when I'm caught in fear and I'm just gripped by fear, what is that? That's, that's me doubting God's promises. Like God promises me that he's going to take care of me. Jehovah Jireh, I'm, I'll provide all of your needs, but I'm scared about the future, God. I'm scared this is going to hurt me. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to worry. Your future is settled in me. But I'm doubting that promise because I'm afraid. If I'm impatient, like, what's, what's going to happen? God, if we could just step out and, 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 and we could go now. What about the church? If we could just have a building already. If we could just do this. If we could help these people. If we could be more than we are right now. What we're doing whenever we're worried about how God is acting in our life and how come God you haven't provided for this meal yet or you haven't provided for this bill yet or you haven't done this yet we're really doubting God's timing well God I don't trust that you can manage this so I'm impatient and biting all my fingernails off what about when I'm resentful about the way things happened God why'd you let it happen like that God how could you do this to me what I'm doing is I'm doubting God's wisdom. Like God knows why I'm going through what I'm going through. Maybe you're carrying guilt. Maybe, you're, maybe the weight of guilt is on you so heavy. And what you're doing whenever we hang on to that guilt is we're doubting God's forgiveness. God, you couldn't forgive me. Or when I feel inadequate, like I'm nothing, God. I'd, who am I? What I'm doing is I'm doubting God's power and the fact that God chose me and he chose you. And if I don't believe that and I believe that I'm not worthy or I am not willing to step out with what God sent me to do, what I'm really doing is not trusting God's power. And that's how we're born, though. That's in our hearts. You don't have to learn that, and I'll prove it to you. Do you have to, do you have to teach your kids to be selfish? No, if you have kids, you know you don't have to teach them to be selfish. In fact, infants are the most selfish people on the planet because all they care about is themselves. And that's why we love them, right? They care about, I'm hungry, I'm dirty, I'm tired, I'm uncomfortable, my stomach hurts, <laughs> right? That's all that matters. And yet, maturity in Christ and walking away from sin is leaving behind that selfishness and maturing as, as a grown adult, a Christian, a follower of Christ. So why, if, that, if that's true and we all know it, why do we give in to temptation? Again, it's fun. It feels good. It, it makes me feel like I'm fulfilled, but I'm not. 
There's a battle inside of us between right and wrong. James 1 and 13 goes on, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted. For God cannot be tempted. Can you get in my bag right here? There's a little bag that I need. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away. Everybody say, dragged away. When they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That word enticed is actually the same word when we talk about a trap. And we talked about a trap earlier that the, that the, the Pharisees tried to put Jesus into. And I brought, I brought some fishing gear this morning. And these little gummy worms. I'm going to fish with them. That word enticed is like the same word for bait. We're enticed and dragged away, tempted by the things that we desire, things that feel like, oh, that would make me feel really good. And so ultimately what's happening? It's like the devil's out there fishing for us. In fact, we like, to we like to think about we're fishers of men and Jesus is fishing. He tells the disciples, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. But you know who else is fishing for your soul? The devil. He would love to entice you with something that would drag you away from God's purpose and make you just want to reach out and grab the little... I'm going to try to see if I can tempt one of these. But what happens if you grab the gummy worm? What, what happens? There's a real hook in there. You can't really see it, but it's in there. And so what happens if this doesn't work? The devil, he's got a big old tackle box full of stuff. He says, well, okay, you don't want the gummy worm. Let's try this one. I have a tackle box right here. Uh-oh, maybe you'll like this. Uh-oh. Now who wants it? Yes, me too. Look at that. The devil knows the thing to hang out in front of you and, and try to tempt you into grabbing it. Because he knows he's been doing this for a long, long time. And just like any good fisherman, he knows what kind of bait to use to catch the fish. He knows what they're biting on right now. He knows what they've been biting on in the past. He remembers what you bit last time. Maybe you got off the hook, but he, he knows that you'll go for that bait. Oh, I got an unhappy little fish. Uh, hmm. he's, un, he's, un, he's afraid? Well, maybe I'll, I'll tempt him with uh, someone who can provide for him. Maybe we'll walk away from God as our provider. Maybe you're impatient. And he says, well, I'll, I'll tempt him with a, with a better answer than God that looks better. But what happens? The bait always leads us in the wrong direction. It's, it's like, have you guys ever seen, uh, there's a website that I think in the 90s they started using to promote or to fight against the use of methamphetamines. So it was the faces of meth. Following people's lives who have uh, lived for meth. And what happens? They look completely different. 
They start off looking one way, and then after three, four, five, ten years, they look completely destroyed. Their teeth are missing, and their face is broken, and their lives are broken. That's what sin does to us. It feels great in that moment. I took the bait, and I'm so glad I did. But then a week later, and then two weeks later, we find ourselves broken. James goes on, then after the desire has conceived... Like that's like this picture of a baby. The egg's been fertilized. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And so when we take the bait, it's like fertilizing an egg that will grow. It will conceive. And it will be fully grown and give birth to death. Fully grown and give birth to death. That's the, that's the ultimate response of sin in our lives. So it's easy for us to all say, well, I, I don't want sin, and I'm not going to take sin. But it is the nature of us to make bad decisions, to follow our heart, and to ultimately turn back to Jesus, hopefully. That's my prayer for you today is that we walk away from sin and that when we're given two options, that we cling to God. I want to close with this last verse and it's Psalm chapter 16, 11. He says, you will make known to me the path of light, the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Like forget about the, the temporary pleasures that come from sin. In his presence, in the presence of God, in the life that he, he, he has put a path ahead of you, if you'll choose that path, then you'll have fullness of joy. That's better than any happiness that, that any sin or anything in this world can offer us. And then it ends with, in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Nothing compares to the life that God wants for you and me. He doesn't want to take away the bad things. It's like the husband sitting at the table. He wants a great marriage. He has hopes and dreams and desires for their marriage, but all the other things that she's bringing to the table are not going to go into that future. There are things that God desires for you, but you've got to leave some things and come to the table. Let him forgive you and go, but leave your life of sin behind. Today, I want you to know that as a Christian, you are the bride of Christ. We are. The church is the bride of Christ. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've never made that decision to become a part of that family. But here's the promise that God gives us. He says, I will show you the path of life. In, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And he'll give us at his hand pleasures forever way more than any sin could offer so go now and leave your sin would you pray with me right now and let's ask God to forgive us let's ask God to make us whole to give us the life that he has designed and purposed and planned for us as we leave sin behind would you say that prayer with me right now and if you've never said that prayer before I would just encourage you Repeat these words and give your life to Christ. And you'll never be the same, I promise. If you're at home today, 
and you've never taken that step of faith. I know it can be scary to, to make a decision that will change not just your life on this earth, but after. When you're gone from this place, when your life is over here, this prayer, this moment of commitment and dedication and asking him, this moment of surrender changes eternity. Would you say this prayer with me with every head bowed and every eye closed? God, today I give you my life. Today, I invite you to come into my life. I want you to be a part of everything I do. Forgive me of my sin. I want to leave it in the past. I want to leave my, my, my sinful nature and my old man in the past. Make me new, and I will follow you forever into the fullness of joy and into pleasures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love that you said that prayer. Can you put your hands together and just say welcome to everybody who said that prayer for the very first time. If you're online and you said that prayer, I'm so excited for you and so proud that you took that step of faith. I'm going to invite Pastor Susan and the band to join me back on stage, and we're going to close with worship. But guys, I want you to know that I love you. And I'm so proud of you for taking that step. You are living in what is the first step of many. Pastor Susan. Amen. That was so good. And if you said that prayer today, we just want to make sure that we get this book in your hands today. It's just a little something to accompany you on your journey called Fresh Start. And we, we're just so excited for you to just kind of walk into this new life and we are proud of you and we just want to give you a high five because it is what it's all about guys god is so good amen amen he is so good we're going to go into the time of giving there are ways to give on the screen behind me we will also have the bucket out front and you remember the lord says hey give what your heart tells you to give right don't do it out of compulsion don't do it because somebody's bending your arm, but do it because we love him. And it says he will bless us abundantly. Amen? Abundantly. Let me pray over you, and then I'm going to have you stand, Lord God. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this message, Father. We choose you always, Lord. We always choose you, and we thank you for choosing us. We pray over the offering, Lord, that, we, that you take it, that you use it, and that we just further the lives of the kingdom of God and that we always choose you. 